and we are back with another episode of Talking as a Free Action. I am your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Welcome back to the show. Hey, how's it going? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, you know, I'm here. <laughs> That's true enough. Uh, here in spirit, if not in body. And we are actually joined uh, with uh, the Foxy Grandpa himself, uh, Chris, our uh, guest. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, how's it going, bud? I'm good, man. <clears throat> All right. And uh, we have a, a pretty fun episode lined up here um, as uh, we, we talk about Chris's uh, roleplay experience and such. So, um, so Chris, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, yeah. So my name is Chris. Um, I've been a forever DM for for as long as I can remember since, since high school. Um, my interest in D&D was uh, pretty early on in in my life because when I was a little kid, um, we used to just do it theater of the mind um, with me and my my two cousins whenever I uh, would be sat by their house and you know waiting for my mom to pick me up or whatever. Um, and you know I never really lost that love for it. I played through you know three point five and skipped over four like most people. Um, and then uh, you know five E really got me. Got me hooked, and I've been doing it ever since. Very nice, very nice. Um, so playing for quite a long time, it <laughs> sounds like. Uh, yes, sir. And forever DM. Very cool. Um, so across those uh, those campaigns, do you typically run like pretty long winded campaigns, shorter stuff? You know, what's kind of your your average campaign length looking like? Um, so normally, I I try to you know gauge the room. Um, because when I was I was running a campaign in college, it was more like a series of one shots because people would drop in and drop out. But normally my campaigns are pretty long running, um, because I, I I write everything out and I really try to incorporate backstories and make sure that um, it doesn't just feel like uh, the the players are, you know, uh, main characters in a story that isn't about them. Um, I want everything that they do and their past to be kind of woven into everything. Um, and I do have a background in creative writing, so I do, I try to make sure that it's a, it's an encompassing story, but, um, it's their story to, to tell. So usually I'd probably say they're, they're usually longer campaigns. Very cool. Um, it's interesting. So you have a background in, uh, in creative writing. Yes. I haven't written any, I haven't written any, uh, any like books per se, but I do write all my campaigns and, um, I, I really try to flesh it out, and yeah, so um, I'll, I'll take their backstory and really just kind of run with it, even if it's, you know, just a, a little bit of information. Cool. So in your mind, then, so if you have a lot of experience with, you know, creative writing, we'll, we'll call it, you know, publish or not, it still counts. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so in your opinion, what are some of the differences between writing, like, a story versus, like, writing for the campaign writing for your characters, for your players? Um, well, so the when you're writing a story, you kind of have an arc in mind for the character uh, that you're writing. And why that what that that might change um, over the course of, of months or 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 years or whatever. Um, but I feel like when you're writing for 
a TTRPG or or Dungeons and Dragons specifically, um, that art can change. You know, heroes can become villains and then turn back to heroes and then turn back to villains, um, which I think in a normal story would be um, extremely exhausting unless you're like George R. R. Martin. Um, and it, but but in Dungeons and Dragons it works. I think even for him they find it exhausting. Oh yeah, so it's definitely even exhausting with him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, I think obviously writing in, in the, in the real world or trying to make a story, whether it's fictional or nonfiction, um, you have a, a mission statement or a moral or something to kind of bring you back to the center of things. Whereas with Dungeons and Dragons, I've had characters take their character, um, somewhere I never expected to go. Um, to uh, either either exercise, you know, some of their own problems that they have. I've I've had people use it as therapy. So it's it's so different writing a book versus writing for Dungeons and Dragons, which is why I think I like it better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think part of it is like you know, obviously, uh, the game kind of builds itself as a collaborative st- uh, storytelling game, right? Or at least it's mm-hmm. kind of what it is now. Um, yeah. You know, back then it, it may have been more focused on um, I know combat's always kind of a big piece of the pie, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, but certainly, you know, a lot of uh, people in the TTRPG space do think of it as a you know collaborative storytelling experience, as you mentioned, and you know when I think about DMing versus like creative writing, I definitely think about how a lot of the times my ideas are way less interesting than what the players would do. Um, or yeah. maybe what the players <laughs> think of in the course of trying to unravel mysteries that you may have planted. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, can you think of any instances where maybe you've had the, you've uh, come up with like a story beat and then the players like said, Oh, maybe this is the answer to the mystery. And you're like, that's way better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that happens all the time. Um, I usually uh, have a game that I run on Thursdays and uh Almost every time I have an interaction, I'm like, okay, this guy's a villain. This guy's neutral. This guy's helpful. This guy's not. Um, they proved me wrong. And I find myself <laughs> I find myself making a new NPC who has to do something that I didn't intend for them to do. Or they pick a fight in a place that I'm just not expecting them to pick a fight. Um, and it's always super interesting for me to see who they kind of gravitate towards because you can make the most adorable fluffy npc who loves everybody and they'll hate that person and if you wrote a backstory for that person or you you wove them into the plot and they now hate this person i feel like it's your job to make that person a villain now because make them want to get rid of this guy or 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 just make it super interesting for them to to hate that person whether it's what you intended or not so um yeah i think it's i think that kind of thing happens all the time and i think the only thing you can plan for is that something's going to go wrong <laughs> expecting the unexpected as it were yeah so any any tips for uh for maybe a new dm who really wants their their bad guy or their npc to be unlikable mm, yes super 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 easy um it's well it's sound it it's 
it doesn't sound easy until you realize that um, they don't have any information that you don't give them. So the way that I make my NPCs or my, my big bad evil guy, uh, the big bad evil guy, is I make him intrinsically tied to their backstory or their character's virtues or make their goals so opposite they have to oppose this person. So if you have someone who is a paladin and they're an oath breaker, you know, they've 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 displeased their god of choice and they're trying to get back into their graces. Your big your big bad evil guy could be someone out to kill that person's god. And now you have a huge problem because what the what the actual player wants and what their character wants they're going to go for that um as hard as they possibly can so if you tie that into their big bad evil guy well now you've got a plot that writes itself you've got a vendetta which is much more interesting than saying this guy is evil you want to kill him because he's evil. <laughs> yeah and you could have a good guy you could have two good guys opposed and now they're they're rivals just because they're they're uh what they're after doesn't match. And now you have a big, bad, evil guy, whether he's evil or not. Yeah. I, I know that with a lot of popular media, it is kind of a thing to, to want to paint your, your bad guys with like shades of gray or empathy or whatever. Um, it it can mm-hmm. be refreshing sometimes just to make someone who's evil for the sake of evil. But I know most, yes. my most recent big, bad, evil guy is definitely a, um, a much grayer character than, than that, because like his, his motivations, I think are understandable on a certain level. I don't know, Marvin, you can tell me what, what your impression is. He's a bastard-coded bastard, and I hope he dies in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely has shades of Magnificent Bastard, I would say. Um, like, I, I, I understand why he is the way he is, but that's not a good excuse for why he does what he does. <clears throat> yeah. That's, that's the thing, um, at least for me, when it comes to writing big, bad, evil guys, I think there needs to be some aspect of him that is uh, like built in worse than all your other players. And then some aspect of him that makes him insurmountable for your players. Whether that's his intelligence, his charisma, his his raw strength, the, the amount of knowledge he's gathered, or just maybe the fact that he just has people watching the players or um he's found some sort of arcane or ancient technology that just puts him on a level above and it's something that i think your players will be like well yeah i understand why this guy's gotten to be as powerful or as much of a threat as he is because look how smart he is look how well he can talk himself out of a situation or 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 into bed with someone super powerful or you know and and when you find that thing, it makes them unique because it's better than just saying, oh, they're just eviler than you. Because I've seen some murder hobos that were absolutely <laughs> terrified of my big bad evil guys. Not because of their killing power, because I had one that just knew what they were doing all the time. And they would ask me, like, Chris, are you metagame? I'm like, no, he's just very good. He's on top of you guys. You guys need to figure something out. And... um they had to go through all this process to find ways of blocking scrying, 
finding his spies, doing all this stuff. Um, there were times where he would try to kidnap players for information, not even to kill them. It was terrifying for them. And it was, it wasn't just, oh, he's really strong. It's just, he has such a following. What do you even do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of like in Curse of Strahd, right? Like, Strahd is powerful, but Strahd's power is largely from, like, the person of Strahd, right? It's not really from the statue. And that's why yeah. I, I find that, like, a lot of people, when they look at Strahd for the first time, and they look at Strahd's stat block, they're kind of underwhelmed. They're kind of like, that's yeah. it? And they don't realize <laughs> that, like, no, dude, like, this guy is, like, is like playing 8D chess, and your your players haven't even figured out the rules to checkers yet. Like, yep. that's how you gotta play the character. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't always oh. have to be masterminds, you know. Sometimes they're just like a person that's in a powerful position. Sometimes your big bad evil guy can be a, a stuck-up prince that just has so much money at his disposal, he can just keep throwing BS at you. He can pay people to do the thinking for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, resources I think that's money is that more than once. <laughs> <laughs> resources is a superpower sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. Batman. <laughs> yeah. Lex Luthor. Yeah. Although he he's kind of more traditional mastermind, he actually does have the sports. Yeah, he is a super genius. Um, yeah. But you, you, can, you can you can pay for you can pay for a lot of power, um, just by having fat pockets. So your big bad evil guy can be the most inept idiot, but he's the richest guy in the land, and he's your problem. Yeah, that first introduction though is super important for really setting the uh, setting the mood. I think you know, like. You know, it, you can have a really cool bad guy, but like you really want them to stand out in that first encounter to really kind of shine. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Um, you know, it, are, can you think of any like memorable like first encounters that your players have had with the big bad evil guy, either in your current campaign or previous ones they'd like to share? Uh, so for this one, um, to give an idea of what's going on in my campaign, um, I've always felt like the pantheon of gods have been um, not very well utilized in a lot of campaigns, um, unless you're 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 a paladin or a cleric, and you know you do use your channel divinity or you pray to your god. Um, so what I wanted to do was have a campaign where it truly fleshed out um, the power that these you know cosmic beings have over a land, and they know what the pantheon of gods are and to start my campaign i had them come in contact with a god that they've never heard of before and it scared the shit out of them because none of them knew what was going on um and one of the players almost got basically inscripted to serve this person and that person was also the party cleric and it took all of their uh, combined ability to snap this person out of it. Um, and what I rewarded them for uh, for doing that is I was able to at least tell them the name. And just the name gave them, like, worry. So now they're, they're, they were giving me history check after history check after. <laughs> like, they were checking every book. They were reading, you know, everything they could. They are like, why have we heard this name before? This person isn't in the Pantheon of Gods. It's not Torm. It's not Helm. It's, who is this guy? So mm-hmm. I think it was a pretty interesting way 
to uh, introduce the bad guy without introducing the bad guy. Because all they know is that they're opposing some sort of um, deity level force at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's enough as, you know, level five party. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Like, it, maybe this is an analogy that fits, right? It's like when you're putting together a jigsaw piece and you find there's an extra corner piece. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's a distinct, different corner piece. It does look like it goes, but it just doesn't fit. Like, yeah. it's that level of, like, this is concerning because it looks like it, like, it ostensibly goes in, but clearly it does not fit into what I know this puzzle should be. Yeah. That sounds cool. awful. <laughs> sounds like a very frustrating puzzle. <laughs> you want to talk about our next business venture, Marvin? We just make I... <laughs> just make jigsaws that have extra pieces. <laughs> extra piece. <laughs> the game. Oh my god! I don't. I don't want to do this. That no. Mm-mm. <laughs> it's like the the borderline between like you know cosmic horror and and minor annoyance is very thin here. Oh yeah, minor annoyance goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> oh so, no. Very cool. Um, so I know for the current big bad evil guy, his his initial introduction was was definitely an interesting one for the players. So initially, this is like five years ago now, but essentially the players met up with some NPCs that were um, friends with one of the characters in their backstory for a collective Mm -hmm. job they were like hey like one of the plot hooks in their backstory was they met up with another adventuring troop and they're like hey we like the cut of your jib meet us at you know x location in three months and the campaign picks up more or less like a week before that meetup okay so the players are like hey it's time to meet up with my friends i'm we're gonna go do that hey friends these are some new people that i'm traveling with let's all go together they're like great we have a job to go retrieve a macguffin from a ruin so they go through, they fight the ruin, they burn it down, um, they, they get the MacGuffin, and they go to um, to the drop-off point, basically. And when they arrive to town, they start asking around if anybody's seen this guy. Nobody in town seems to remember seeing them, but they definitely have like qualitative evidence that this person was here, right? They, they know that they were there, but nobody seems to remember where they are. Uh, so eventually they do uh, make it to a drop-off location. And the guy basically turns up out of nowhere and and starts addressing them by name, despite having never met them before. So that already Mm -hmm. is like a big power move, (laughs) like like as you were saying, Mm -hmm. right? Because like, you know, do I know this guy? No. He's like, oh, Arnon, good to see you. He's like, do I know this person at all? No. No, you don't. It's like, oh, okay. Um, Kind of as an aside, one of the players, like, they're meeting at like basically the shack in the woods where the like city guard is living. And mm-hmm. one of the players like broke in and stole something of theirs. So during this meeting, right, um, the the sheriff, you know, returns to this shack basically, finds his stuff is missing, and kind of starts having a panic attack because it's like it's all it's all it's like his most precious belonging or whatever. Starts sobbing or whatever, and the bad guy like is kind of in the middle of the conversation. He's like, "You're being too loud," and just like taps him on the shoulder, and the guy collapses into the bed. Right? Mm. It looks like he falls asleep. And that's what I tell the players, you know, it looks like he, he, he passes out. And he's like, there, that's better. And then they continue their conversation uh, with the players. And he's like, all right, well, you know, thank you so much. You've been really helpful. Um, 
you know, I, I hope to see you again soon. I'll reach out if I need anything. And then, like, he leaves and basically goes away in a puff. And then, at that point, the players actually go and check on the on the guy, and they realize that he did not go to sleep. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute, this guy just touched him and killed him? Number one, he did it for, like, the most trivial of reasons. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um... And again, like, he already knew him, and they also just had this really bad feeling that they may have just handed off the, the nuclear codes to somebody who was bad news, because they just handed a MacGuffin to a guy that killed somebody without even thinking about it twice. So, mm-hmm. um, nice. whatever plot was going on, the players immediately dropped that, and they're like, we need to go to where this guy is going, because <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, <laughs> uh, and now I look like at it. them. <laughs> Yeah, five years later, and they're making plans to break into his demi-plane so they can kill him before he assimilates the magic of five worlds or something. Hey, man, that's... Doesn't life just suck when you give <laughs> the the assimilation codes to the one guy you shouldn't give it to? <laughs> that guy that got picked on in high school, you know, pizza face, too short, you know, no muscle. Oh. Now he's got... Now he can just take the planets and throw them into one, so kind of have to stop him. It's your fault. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, well, There's even more it, their fault than you know. <laughs> do you want to share, Marvin? <laughs> um, yeah, so one of the players um, did not have a very well-thought-out backstory uh, originally. So Owen here said... All right, I'm going to work with that. And made up a much more in-depth backstory at some point in the campaign before I joined where that player's character had amnesia. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that big bad evil guy is his brother. Mm-hmm. And he's doing some kind of magic to collapse some worlds, to bring back a world that the player's character created well that they're so from. it's actually huh they're from he didn't create that that world but they're from that world no the magic yeah yeah the magic is created by the player in their backstory yeah cool so now we find out it's all his fault <laughs> he did this he's the reason we have to do any of this <laughs> yeah um because basically great. you know as i mentioned during his first encounter a, he already knew the players before he talked to any of them. And B, uh, <laughs> you know, it's established that he has, like, memory-manipulating powers. So after, like, maybe two years of trying to do something with his backstory, and I just kept coming up with goose eggs, um, I said, you know what? I'm just going to retcon the whole thing. Uh, the bad guy wiped his memory. They're related. Surprise. And during that memory wipe, he just implanted new memories. And that's why this doesn't actually, like a lot of these connective tissues just don't make a lot of sense when you put them together. It's just, it's just his brain trying to fill in gaps into a story that isn't meant to make a whole lot of sense. uh, If you like put any sort of scrutiny towards it. Gotcha. So, and that, that's done world like wonders for his character. Um, Mm -hmm. before he was kind of, um, Kind of like along for the ride. He was always a great sport about it, but like the story was never really like involving his character at all. And now that his character has some skin in the game, it gives him a lot more to kind of chew on, you know, when it comes to like major story bits. Absolutely. Actually, I, I think that's a very 
that's a very common issue for for people that are more shy in Dungeons and Dragons or or new. I don't want to say only new because I met some people that were like, yeah, this is my first character, and uh, here's my small short story about my my character. Like they were just ready. But more than anything that I've run into um, over the years is people that are shy. And because they're shy, they don't want to write too involved of a backstory mm-hmm. um, so that they're not really the focus um, too often. And um, I, I, try to, I try to help them um, understand that, like, you know, you should write, you should write a, you know, if, if you want to write more of a story for your character, um, you, you should, even, even if you're a little bit, you know, scared about having the, the limelight on you, because it won't always be on you. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's one friend that me and Marvin have in common who is very much like that. And, uh, I had to write her backstory for her and she really, um, she really enjoyed what I, what I took from what she gave me and, and turned it into something much more, um, much more fleshed out. And when, when I was able to do that, she kind of came out of her shell and she wanted to, um role play more and talk about it and and you know keep some secrets about it from the other players and i think it actually really really helps um for those people who who are a little bit afraid to write their backstory or 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 don't like having all that attention on them because i kind of it feel like it it, it opens up the floor more Mm -hmm. yeah i mean just like you know, it's like when you go to write something go to like draw or paint something right like the blank page can be very intimidating and I remember advice that I got from an art teacher one, uh, you know, many, many years ago was like, if you're ever afraid of like what to do or not sure where to start, just put a mark on the page somewhere. Like, yeah. cause just having something on the page is a lot less interest is a lot less um, intimidating rather, you know, than, than just that, that empty canvas, that, you know, big expansive void of, you know, could be anything because mm-hmm. could be anything is one thing, but once you put something there, now it is something. And now you can build off of that. Exactly. Um, she, I'll actually give you the example of what she gave me. Sure. Uh, she wrote a uh, a story. Um, I don't know if there's any uh, trigger warnings or anything I should put out, but um, it was about losing a child. Um, mm. Her her character uh, lost their son mm. um, to a mysterious cabal of a group. Um, and to this day, she's not sure why they targeted her and her son. Um, and I kind of fleshed it out into this uh, this bigger uh, story about how um, she's kind of she knows the reasons, but she's repressed um, a lot of it, and uh, she's never really forgiven herself over what happened with the with the child. And she still has like nightmares about it and wants to like right that wrong. Um, and her character is actually willing to do anything uh, to do that, which is diametrically opposed to the rest of the party because they don't know the lengths that she's willing to go um, to have her family back. So it's and she, uh, I, I actually like, I fleshed it out in kind of like a a flashback moment for her and. Uh, the other characters still don't know what's actually going on with her. They just saw her like have a moment. And normally this character is very stoic, put together, calm, 
So to see that person break down, they're all like, what the heck is going on? So it was really cool. No, that's good. Um, And that's like the perfect example of like what it means to just like, as a DM to really collaborate with your players and help them kind of build on something like the kernel of a, of an idea and and to really develop it into something that's, you know, wholly unique from what either person Mm -hmm. would have developed on their own. Absolutely. Um, Shifting gears a little bit. Um, I know you had mentioned that you play primarily 5e. Are there any other tabletops that you've kind of, you know, dipped your toes into um, over the years? I'll be I'll be honest. Um, I haven't played any Pathfinder, but I love watching uh, Pathfinder. Like people stream their their games or whatever. I also like Monster of the Week. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to play it. Um, it it's 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 an acquired taste because it, it's very it's very it's very theater of the mind. Um, and you have to have people who like like spooky stuff or like, um, you know, sappy like '90s series like monsters and stuff. Um, it's 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 different, but I would love to play it. Um, but primarily for me, it's always been uh, Dungeons and Dragons in pen and paper, theater of the mind. Um, and now I'm playing it um, on virtual because pretty much everybody who I play with is just living in completely different areas uh some are in different states so it just uh makes it easier i know the feeling mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um half of my party lives in in las vegas i uh, i have a uh, i have one that's in utah right now he's freezing his butt off yeah. but he plays every thursday so yep shows up like clockwork <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that's more than we can say about our party <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, every party always has, like, the one person who just shows up every single week. Like, very seldom misses a game. And mm-hmm. as a DM, like, I appreciate that person. <laughs> just very yeah. much. Yeah. You know? Because, like, nothing's I... worse than having people who are, like, disengaged. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like me. Um, no, I, I feel like, uh, for the most part... It, it's never like a, oh I'm not interested this week for 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 us it's always like ah something came up or someone has to take care of their kid or or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. thankfully I haven't had any groups where it was like clearly people like tuning out or just you know they they liked it for a session or two and then they left it hasn't really I haven't really had anything like that since maybe like high school and that was with people that really had no idea what Dungeons and Dragons were they just heard the name and everybody liked it and they wanted to dip their toe in and just the toe <laughs> yeah just the toe and then right back out yeah i mean i find that like the older that i get the less frequent i end up with like player horror stories now part of that is i think i'm a lot more selective about like who i'm inviting into my games yeah mm-hmm. broadly i think when i was younger i was a lot more eager to just have like as many people as i could get and that entailed me inviting a lot of people that were really not good people <laughs> Oh same? my gosh! Actual yeah. same. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm not gonna lie, bro. Yeah, that's that is that is that is such a mood. Because when I was younger, I was like, "Oh heck yeah, ten people in my game, let's go!" And then combat starts, and you're like, "This is gonna take." And the game grinds to a halt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, your whole session. Your whole session is combat. That was in college. I had a very, very large group. And 
I didn't know what D&D horror stories were, um, but I experienced them before I knew what they were. Because I had everybody you could have in that group. Every, every cliche. I had the cheater. I had the guy who got sad every time the, the dice worked how they're supposed to work, which is make everything random. I had the guy who I had the the edgy rogue who always wanted to go off and do stuff on their own and got themselves killed or the party killed. I had the guy who changed his his class and subclass every time he realized that that class or subclass had a weakness. He was trying to find like the optimal perfect class that could do everything. And I'm like, dude, that doesn't exist unless you're going to multi-class into all all classes. And even then you're going to be crap at everything. (laughs) Not if you do it right. (laughs) <laughs> i mean i don't know man have you played druids in 3.5 clerics in 3.5 they're they're pretty yeah. close to perfect at everything oh yeah they're really good they're some <laughs> they're some of the hardest to kill they have the most they have incredible resources so yeah but close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades <laughs> and i guess thermonuclear warfare yeah. no no <laughs> If you're close, you might still poison your own water supply. Oh. But you don't need to hit the target on spot? I don't know. This this metaphor is quickly growing. um, It's quickly violating more Geneva Conventions, so we should probably deviate from that. Uh, I mean, is it really a violation if we're not doing these things? I don't know. I'm not the thought police. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's still there's still free speech <laughs> for now. Technically. Uh, if Brig Brother is happening to, to be uh listening in, is happening to I can't even word. Whatever. If Big Brother's listening, just letting you know that we don't plan on nuking anybody. Yeah, unless it's our players, you know? Yeah, but even then, then only their fine. fictional characters, not the actual yeah, people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Exactly. I wait. We don't mean the actual... Okay. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Uh, I definitely remember um, having some larger groups. Um, I think my first D&D campaign that I ever ran for 3.5 was like seven or eight people. Yes. Yeah, um, which like <laughs> was bad. And I, one one useful shorthand that I ended up hearing um, many, many years later is that like your standard combat like is designed to be for four people, right? So like you know, four people can usually get through a combat encounter and usually, like, you know, under an hour, typically. Like, if it's, like, a medium-sized combat encounter. However, mm-hmm. for every person you add beyond the fourth, it adds roughly 20 to 30 minutes of time to that combat encounter. Yeah, because what people don't take into account of is that 90% of the people are so tuned in to combat that they didn't actually think about what they want to do on their round. And when there's more people... for that round to come all the way around to you again you've either tuned out forgot what you're going to do notice someone did something different so now you have to change it um Mm -hmm. which gives you even more time to drop out of it in fact that was probably the big one of the biggest issues with that that group of 10 i was talking about Mm -hmm. it's like they would forget oh is this is this goblin even hurt (laughs) oh he hit it okay uh i'm in a flurry of blow oh so that one's dead okay this one's stunned. I should ignore it. Okay, so then what should I do? And then everybody talks. <laughs> everybody has a full conversation in the middle of combat like this is the Avengers. Like, you can't do that. 
Uh, oh, actually, I'm going to point to the name of our show, and I will say that, yes, you, you can, in fact. It is well, a free action. Yes! <laughs> Listen, just because it's a free action doesn't mean it's unlimited. You know that. I know, I know. Yeah. But like, It'll have full war councils in the middle of this the combat. Show. We're the show. Surely, if anyone's going to be lenient towards this rule, it should be us, right? Yeah. You're not wrong. You're, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'll give you that one just this once. Thanks. I, I appreciate you having some mercy on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um but th- those early campaigns like they were definitely like one thing that I ran into early on. I don't know if maybe this is an experience that's universal for DMs, but I remember those early campaigns really feeling like I bit off way more than I could chew. Oh yeah. Uh yes. 100%. Yes. Um it's it's difficult to 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 say what everybody you know everybody goes through different issues as a new dm um i think my issue was that i was ignoring the fact that one of the best traits you can have is 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 really good improv because when i first started out i tried to plan for everything mm. Uh, and when you have 10 people that can each do something entirely weird, um, it, it really, you can't, you can't plan every permeate, every permeation. Um, cause I've had people, you know, take one step through the door of a dungeon and I planned out the whole dungeon and they said, nah, we'll come back when we're higher level. And I'm like, wow, that's the whole session. <laughs> that's the whole thing. Crap. Okay. Oh. Yeah, you guys are on the road now. Crap. <laughs> Random encounters go. Yep, yep. I'm gonna bring up the old table. Flip, flip, flip. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think like building your improv is a super helpful skill because you're right. Like one thing that I think a lot of new DMs fall into is the like over planning. You know, not like over like because there is good planning you can do as a DM that can be really far in advance. But the kind of like minutia, like planning down to like the individual like. You know, block like planning a city block by block. If you're not spending an entire campaign within the walls of that city, is just like an exercise in futility. Yeah, I mean, even then, like I've had like entire story arcs take place in a single city, and I didn't plan ninety percent of the city. <laughs> that's good. Hey, that's that is a that is a testament to um to your ability to you know make it up as you go and and still keep it interesting because there's there's bad improv oh yeah i've I've been i've been in a couple of campaigns uh you know every once in a while i'll I'll break the forever dm moniker i've been in i've been in one campaign as a character since 2018 oof oof and um let me tell you this, I, I'm not gonna bash the person, but their idea of impromptu anything was was questionable. Um, <laughs> he, if you came up with like a really good ingenious way of like doing doing something with an NPC or or um, a really interesting call shot in 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 combat. He would actually punish you for it because he couldn't think of a way um, to weave it into combat. So he would just he would just punish you. 
I, wow. I remember. Yeah, I remember one time he uh, he sent a construct after us, and this person had woven some Star Wars stuff into Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not sure why. Um, they should have just played I'm sagas. Thinking, what's that? They should just play sagas. I know, right? Um, or Starfinder or something. But uh, so there was a, there was a point where we're fighting this thing, and it has a very clear and obvious um, core that has like a metal panel over it. So we bust the panel off and we can see it's just like this, this whirling contraption that's filled with like electricity and stuff like that. And, and, and like exposed wiring. I'm like, okay, water and electronics don't mix. So I, uh, take out my, um, my wine, like my water skin and I throw it and I'm a warlock. So I, I, I'm like, Oh, can I do a call shot? Can I, can I throw, my water skin and then blast my water skin not the creature but my water skin with eldritch blast right as it's near this creature's chest to splash it with water mm-hmm. and because he didn't know how to improvise the damage for it he just told me that it didn't work and not only did it not work but somehow i got electrocuted i guess eldritch blast conducts electricity apparently <laughs> and and what from that yeah, dude. Um, from that point, I was like, okay. Um, I mean, I'm going to do it by the right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, uh, I, I'd never done this to one of my players, so I didn't know what it felt like. But now I did, and I was like, holy crap, that feels <laughs> awful. That feels awful. If you come up with an ingenious plan, and it's it's rule of cool, it's it's interesting. Um, it makes combat more more fun and dynamic because maybe you can drop a chandelier on a cobalt, or maybe you can uh, set off the trap that was meant for you to 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 kill your big bad big bad evil guy. Let your players do it because mm-hmm. that's a story. Like you want people to go around and be like, "Yeah, oh my gosh, that game! I can't believe we killed that guy with you know that bag of holding and portable hole combo." Like it's cool, it's interesting. If you tell them. If you tell them no and just like end it at that or, or or not even make it a chance that they can roll for this thing. If you just tell them no without even a chance of success, um, when it's something feasible, something logical that might work in your world that you've established, um, I think you're I think you're kinda doing it wrong. You're DMing wrong. I mean at, at least the very least you're robbing your players of what could be a really interesting experience and robbing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think that it, it kind of stemmed from uh, he 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 was the type where uh, it was uh, DM versus players. That's the vibe I got from him. Well, I think that's the first mistake. Absolutely. Right, because like it's collaborative. At the end of the day, we have to work together to tell the story, or we should. The game's better when you do. I mean, yeah, I'm sure some you know run your table how you want, right? But I think you know there are definitely tables where like that is the kind of game they want to play. But to me personally, like, I feel like if you're doing, like, the DM versus player thing, that you're kind of just covering up, like, for some control issues that you have. <laughs> like, I don't I don't particularly see the appeal of that, because as a DM, you ultimately could kill the players at any given moment. Like, you know, if the fun is to kind of, like, see how far you can push the players where they're ultimately successful, I find that a lot more interesting. And that's kind of more my my approach when it comes to, like, running combat, especially, like, successive combat encounters, is I want to push my players to the brink, but I want them to ultimately succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
they they should um not only should they succeed but the dm if you don't want them to win like if you don't if you start your game or you 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 pick up a book if you pick up the the you know the dm's guide right and mm-hmm. you don't want your players to win if you feel like your job is to like to kill them or give them a really hard time just don't play this game cuz it, it's not uh <laughs> that's not what it's about and you should want them to walk away with like victory like it should be hard fought and in some cases um there should be combats that play directly against their strengths because those are the ones that that really um test their tactics and make it so that not everything always goes their way you know if you have that one wizard who normally steamrolls things send them to the underdark where everything almost everything in their grandmother has magic resistance and let the fighter shine some more um it's it's going to make for exactly yeah we're like we're like the the rogue was absolutely steamrolling um with um like super high AC. I, g- I gave him a book at some point that let him bump his um, dexterity to twenty two from twenty. Um, <laughs> th- there's actually a book, like a, a, a magic yeah, item yeah. in the DMG that does that. So he already had a twenty, and they did a, a big quest for a a spirit, a, 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 a great spirit, and everybody got a unique reward, and his reward was a grimoire with this. That was this book. So it got him to bump his dex to a twenty two as a rogue. Um, arcane trickster, like he's already super dangerous, um, has a twenty in intelligence as well, so he's very power Ugh. built. Um, and then he he picked up blade singing, so <laughs> uh, with a couple levels of wizard. So now he's like, oh yeah, I have like a twenty two AC, and I have evasion, so I take basically nothing from all these reflex saves. And I'm like, cool. This lich specializes in cold damage. Your con save is a oh a plus three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cone of Cold? (laughs) (laughs) And, like, that was enough to, like... I mean, and also, too, like, his primary weapon was um, Shadow Blade, so, like, that psychic damage. So, like, you know, even recently, like, I threw him through an entire, like, sub-dungeon. Or I guess it was the... It was a sub-dungeon? It was the dungeon before the main dungeon. I don't know what you would call that. It's like a Russian nesting doll dungeon. Penultimate room. (laughs) Not a room. It was a whole dungeon. It was a whole dungeon. Like, oh, yeah, like yeah. the final dungeon is inside a dungeon. Ah. Yeah. It's it's like a turducken, but a dungeon. Gotcha. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, a, a turdungeon. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't like that. Please don't do that ever again. Oh, we're going to coin that now. <laughs> coin it. It's probably going to be the episode title. Um. Oh. <laughs> so um man um <laughs> but but so we have that it's also really funny because we're recording this the day before thanksgiving right um hey come on that's that's just tactics yeah i mean oh, it, it, that's it. i mean that's just math right um <laughs> are we secretly really good at this maybe that's the secret cap always have been <laughs> um Oh, yeah, I just quoted a meme and the Avengers at the same time. I feel bad at this again. Um, <laughs> no, that was genius. Keep doing that. All right. Well, e- either way. Um, so, so backing away from this and trying to get more into my Tony Stark like zillion IQ 
uh, head um, in the in the uh, larger dungeon that surrounded the smaller, more important dungeon. Um, it was filled to the brim with a bunch of enemies that um, a had blind sight to like sixty feet or something, and also were totally immune to psychic damage. Something that he continuously forgot over the course of three sessions, um, as every move was always conjure the shadow blade and attack, and then waste that first turn. It every time I was like, dude, are you not paying attention? <laughs> the short answer is he wasn't, but, um, <laughs> uh, but like between that and constructs, like there definitely are are enemies that the players have fought where it's like, oh yeah, this is not like this is not something that I'm specialized to handle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it should be, it should be. I I try, so th- I, it's not advice for new DMs because it, listen, I have let me see six different books of monsters on my shelf and i love hand picking my monsters for every campaign um i try to make sure it makes sense with the area but besides that all bets are off so i make sure that there's something in that campaign uh or sorry in that combat um tailor made to test someone in the party that's how I'm able to, because the CR system to me is, is is. Oh man, don't even get us started. Oh, uh, it's it's terrible at best. It's um, like you've listened to the previous episodes. Uh, I I haven't, I haven't. I've <laughs> just played this game. We did a and whole episode you, where we were ranting about intellect of hours and how somehow that's a CR two monster, but like really it's not because like just one of them could easily TPK a party of level two, three, four, even five if they don't have the saves for it. Yeah. Um, if it takes over the barbarian, you lose. Um, if it takes over the cleric, the only person who could bring anybody back to life or dispel this thing, they also lose. Yeah, you, you, I, had, I, 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 would, I would never listen to the CR system, because if you do, you're going to kill your whole party with two shadows. Yeah, or one. even worse, design what you think is going to be a balanced or difficult combat encounter and just have them walk through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's. I feel like... <laughs> My my huge issue with with the the current CR system is um, it the the biggest strength in Dungeons and Dragons, which which a lot of people will they they come to understand if they if they DM a lot is action economy. Mm-hmm. So if you're the kind of dungeon master who puts a lot of monsters with counterspell or a lot of things with uh, legendary resistances, or legendary actions, or lair actions. You are going to body your players eventually. I mm-hmm. like to sprinkle that stuff in when it's a very special combat. Yeah. Because um, if you use it at the rate that they say you should use it, and and also instant kill mechanics, anything that like drops you to zero, your your souls in the in the in the, the shadow realm. <laughs> yeah, you're like what. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're. Yeah, I'm sorry. Your soul is now in in the domains of dread. You know, go talk to Strahd and get it back. Like what? What <laughs> yeah, are you talking yeah. about? Like it's a CR five monster. Yeah, we're but we're just gonna pull a Maximilian Pegasus and zap your grandpa into the TV set. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, it's like sure, man. Like that's cool. I guess. Um, <laughs> guess I'll just roll another character then, because you know, where do we go from here? Yeah. It, yeah. I, I I understand some sometimes you 
like if a, if a player does die, it can it can make things interesting, but it's not what you want. It's not your goal. It's not what you're going for. And if you like expressly use like just those kind of monsters or a lot of those kind of monsters, you're gonna you're gonna get what you're looking for, but you're not gonna have you know your players actually having fun because there's plenty of challenge in monsters that don't have those mechanics. And I actually like to homebrew some things and 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 add things or take a monster give it some player class levels it's super easy in in some of these um online tabletop rpgs because you can just drag and drop monster features onto a, a stat block that's already open mm-hmm. and then you have something much more interesting yeah another thing that i like to do too is um taking features from other games um to to put onto npcs i found that that's also pretty fun because like you're absolutely right action economy is king in this game and and you will find that even if you have just if you just have enough enemies that will overwhelm players of virtually any level because eventually you're going to start rolling some 20s and like that will take players down quickly unchecked yeah Mm -hmm. Um, true story yeah if you have a especially if you have crunchy crits so (laughs) yeah for sure um yeah some some of those uh some of those house rules that you run it goes for everybody you know it goes both ways that's why you know if you have players that want something a feature or like flanking or um or flat-footed or you know those features in the game you have to remember that the monsters can use that too like you can toss his mind with me but i'll toss his mind with you right back yeah, like, eventually the other people get to do it. And that's one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, this is... Like, that's one of the reasons why I kind of find the, the conversation around, um, around like, oh, character balance is kind of weird to me. Because, like, the whole concept of saying, like, oh, this class is unbalanced or this, this class is broken or unfair or whatever, it's like, I don't even really know if that's, like, the point of 5e. <laughs> It isn't. No, when someone tells me something is broken, I'm like, good. That means that you'll get to the end of this story that we're writing together. If you pick if you pick a blade singing wizard or you go totem barbarian, I'm like, okay, thank God, maybe this guy will make it to the end of this thing. Because <laughs> I I just I'm what well, I'm serious. I just I just got out of a I actually was playing right before uh right before I hopped on uh to talk with you guys. Um so I have some fresh stuff from from the combat we just ran. Uh my fighter action surged and uh she got three ones nice so you can have really bad luck you can have stuff you can have combats that you're totally ready for and just and just flub it and and nearly die like off of just super super bad luck i had the cleric the cleric took 3d10 basically took half her hp and damage from from a bolt from an arcane ballista just happened (laughs) <laughs> literally it literally almost like one hit ko'd the, the cleric and the whole party was like holy crap was that a crit i'm like nope i just got i got two nines and a ten what do you want <laughs> but um <laughs> i've had some of those happen too even recently <laughs> yeah. um, my, my players have a really bad habit of like continually separating the party having the, the bard go down and other characters go down trying to rescue the bard recollect <laughs> barely make it out alive only for the bard to then turn around and volunteer to scout again. <laughs> um, <laughs> Marvin's laughing because this literally was just like the last, like the the, the larger so dungeon. It happened. Oh. I, I want to point out too that like it's even better than it sounds because they enter this this uh, section of the dungeon. Right, he scouts ahead like maybe two movements ahead. Right, 
gets downed because he's at like 30 HP or something. These are like level 15 characters, mind you. So he's at like 30 HP. That's well within range for most monsters of the CR area to like take you down. But, you know, he's just like walking ahead. Creature like not KOs him and starts dragging him deeper into the dungeon. So immediately, like, you know, the NPC that's with them as well as the rogue run after him um, to try and collect the, collect him. Meanwhile, um, a creature like emerges out of the rock and starts attacking the remaining three pl- uh, players who are uh, sitting behind, kind of holding the entrance in a uh, kind of like a hit and run strategy. Mm-hmm. So it was bad. <laughs> it was bad all around. Um, in fact, that creature ended up KOing the fighter, which was not great mm-hmm. as well. And oh. before they were able to eventually drive it off, um, you know, temporarily, basically. Um, they get back. The The bard wakes up, right? They, they administer first aid. He casts some curing. And he's like, you know what, guys? I'm never scouting again. That was ridiculous. Like, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Session ends. Next week, we joined. It's like, all right, what are we doing? Okay, I'm here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and cast invisibility on myself and the fighter. And we're going to go ahead and go ahead and go take a look. Mind you, every monster they fought in this dungeon has no eyes. They all have blind sight and tremor sense. Every single one of them. And granted, they couldn't know about the tremor sense, but the the cue is that every single one of them has been described as having no face, but they still find you. So needless to say, when he walked into a nest of like 15 of them, they had no problem seeing that he had done so. Oh, boy. It was... It was not great. The the clues were there. I I love what you did there because <clears throat> when it comes to special monsters or, or, or stuff that you really want um the players to encounter but you want it to be fair, um laying breadcrumbs of what they're about to deal with will make them go, Oh yeah, I should have I should have realized that was coming. Um <laughs> foreshadowing. Like, yeah, like I, I told the, I told the players in in the in the game I was just running, you know, you hear, you hear these sounds. It almost sounds like like when a a pickaxe hits stone, except you hear it kind of above you, and they're like, uh, okay, and they ignore it, and I'm like, you hear it again, it's closer, and they're like okay, this is fine. And they get themselves into a spot where they're fighting something and they're kind of in a chokehold almost. And the, there's only one way out of this room. And then like a hook horror drops out of the ceiling and they see the hooks and then they see all the, the <laughs> stone. They see the, the path it had taken up and it had been chasing them through this whole thing. And they just <laughs> never really stopped the... Uh, the Leonin fighter had given a perception check to smell it, and like nothing got a one. And I'm like, that, and they just forgot about it. I'm like, well, okay, but it's here now. Surprise! <laughs> yeah, it's like when someone bursts out of a birthday cake. Only instead of a person, it's a core, and instead of a cake, it's the room that you're trying to to bar to to stay live. Mm-hmm. And they had just burst down the door, the only door they could have used to barricade it out. So. It made for an interesting fight. That sounds great. Sounds awful. No, it was actually, it, it went fine until a certain someone, you know, uh, tried to hit it twice as a level five fighter and 
missed twice and then action surge and then missed again and then only hit once. That's so, brutal. Yeah, super brutal. Literally three ones. Couldn't believe it, but uh, it happens. Yeah, I'm curious. What's the rest of the party makeup? So you have a fighter in there at level five. What else? Uh, so I have a level five blade singing wizard. Um, oh, that's awesome. A, a level five um, wildfire druid, a level five uh, uh, path, I'm sorry, domain of peace cleric, and then a rune knight fighter. Interesting. So your party doesn't really have a rogue. No, and stealth is a huge. <laughs> it's becoming a pretty big issue for them because two <laughs> of the people have disadvantage on stealth rolls. Yeah, like yeah, that would track. Um, so what I've, I mean, the, the the one thing I will say is a redeeming quality. They are very tanky. They have mm-hmm. a lot of resources to keep themselves safe. They have good range damage. It's just they either need to work on their diplomacy or they need to. Someone needs to multi-class into something because they can't sneak up on anything. Like, anytime they've tried, they have failed. I guess that charisma-based skills are pretty poor too, right? Because no one in there is a charisma caster. Um, yeah. Um, well, the the only one who really has good charisma is the cleric, who thankfully um, rolled a 15 in charisma along with uh, her high... Uh, wisdom stat and uh, that person was planning on multi-classing into a warlock anyway so hopefully they'll kind of flesh out some of their weaknesses right now they're very they're very good at taking care of business when fights start but I, it would be nice to it's have a surrounding more... that though prior to their initiative role <laughs> yeah it, it would be nice <laughs> to have more uh, role-playing moments where they don't absolutely ruin it because of uh because of their bad stealth roles or their inability to talk their way out of a situation. That's interesting. They have done some some good some good role plays though. Yeah, I mean, and some parties are just not very well equipped for it, but it is fun to watch them kind of like muddle their way through it. I'm sure. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. they're all having fun. That's that's the most important thing to me. Um, and they they always seem to love to, even though they don't have a good stealth person or or. Or really, a good face of the party as of yet. They they still um, make for great role playing. They have great ideas, great call shots. They they killed an Atiug in 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 two rounds. It was incredible. They're they're very powerful for what they've picked. That's sweet. I'm. <laughs> it's always funny too when the players like accidentally break things. You're like, oh wow, that was that was not expected. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, reminded of like, a um of a uh, necromancer wizard that I played. It's like the the one PC that I've, I well, not the one, but it's one of the few PCs that I've gotten to play like to a decent level. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were fighting, uh, what was it? It was, we were fighting like a bunch of like Sahagin, like shark creatures, right? That mm-hmm. was like the, the primary enemy that we were fighting, but like they were being um, controlled. They were working with like a bunch of, a, a coven of sea hags. Oh, so, um, so they were attacking this this village, um, and the village was kind of getting messed up. So my necromancer rolls into town. And is like, so what have you guys been doing with the dead? And they're like, that's an interesting question for you to ask. And I was like, oh, just just asking. Um, <laughs> go through. 
uh, I, I do my thing. Uh, the, the cleric was less than happy with the situation. I politely pointed out that most people would be thrilled to give their life a second time to protect their home. Um, so I'm sure that they would have been fine with it if I had asked. But, mm. um, yeah, well, you know, that's that's on them. And then, you know, later on we were discussing kind of the defense of the town with the uh, town leadership. I was appointed as the head of uh, of human resources. So I don't like that. Um, as we dis- sensing Night King, <laughs> as we discussed, kind of what to do with the uh, with with the personnel uh, that were at my disposal. So um, after we kind of rebuff, you know, repelled the uh, the attack back into the sea, we boarded our boat and went after like this magic circle that was you know kind of uh, forming. We jumped onto it. We were fighting like on this like floating platform or whatever. And this was this like coven of sea hags, and I had like. 22 zombies slash skeletons with me. It was like a mix, right? And I one-rounded one hag, and then I one-rounded the next hag, and then the other hag was killed by by the other players in the party over the course of that time. Okay, let's let's be honest here. You didn't one-round both of the hags. No, no. My... the, the, The villagers technically did. It was you and your backup dancers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was channeling my inner Michael Jackson um, <laughs> for sure. As a and look, in my defense, this was not necessarily my fault that the encounter broke. This is technically the DM's fault for mm. allowing me to have twenty-two bow and arrows to distribute to the skeletons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a mistake. <laughs> but even 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 so, twenty two zombies punching you to death. I think that'll kill just about anything after a while. Yeah, because like the attack roll was low, but it doesn't matter when you have twenty two chances to roll a twenty. And Necromancer's biggest thing is each of the attacks do like a plus like six or seven points of damage. So like it doesn't matter at the end of the day. I only need three or four of them to hit in order for them to do a significant amount of damage. Um, yeah, and then I'm also a wizard. Like that's just my bonus action commanding those things. Um, and you cannot move unless you want to roll twenty attacks of opportunity. Yeah, the the fun thing to do if you're ever playing a necromancer is because um, you actually have some pretty finite control over the the zombies, but you can only command them to do one thing at a time. So you can't say like command five zombies to attack one guy and then five zombies to attack another. You have to issue one command that goes to all of the zombies that you're controlling that round. So what Mm -hmm. you do is you command all of your zombies to grapple that guy. And then the following round, you then have, after they're grappled, you then have them attack because it takes a a standard action to break a grapple. So if you're grappled by multiple people, it takes multiple rounds in order to break that. Which means if you have four or five zombies grappling you, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yikes. I, I oh, toxic. <laughs> I had a new nightmare. <laughs> I, I did that to one guy. Um, to, to one, like, it, it was like a Sahagin, um, like, elite warrior or whatever. He, like, jumped out of the sea, took out his staff, did, like, a, a like a spin-swirling, you know, kata, like, you know, like, Oberyn Martell, right, from Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool, fam. Uh, I'm going to cast Disguise Self and make myself look like my zombies. And then I'm going to command all the zombies to grapple him. Great, I'm going to cast Blindness on him, and now I'm going to have the zombies pull him apart. Oof. Yikes. <laughs> so You're the worst. Is there a more zombie way to kill somebody? 
Um, I'm not gonna lie. I I actually made a zombie trap. I, I love I was this. Flipping, I love everything I was about flipping, whatever you just said. Oh yes, <laughs> I was flipping through the book. I was I was flipping through um, uh, Ravenloft, and I'm like, ooh, okay. They have a stat block for. I was like, ah, I'm bored of zombies. Like, I want to do something with undead, but I'm tired of zombies. And then they saw the swarm of limbs, and I'm like, boy, this is cool. So I took them and I added some underdark flavor to it. Now, um, I basically took a myconid colony, and I had them um, as kind of like a neutral evil group in the underdark, and they would take the bodies from any prisoners that the drow would take in. And after the drow had finished making them not alive, um, they would plant them in their myconid gardens, and they would come back as these living traps that would basically try and pull the party apart. And I laid a bunch of them in an area in a, in a, in a mushroom bed. And I had my characters, my players, make perception checks. And all they saw was mushrooms. And they saw a chest in the middle. And they're like, this is a trap. But we're cool with this. So they walk in. No, they and didn't. Why would it, the greed do that? The greed, man. <laughs> uh, so they walk in, right? And I'm like, okay, I need to make a dexterity check. And that dexterity check is going to tell me how many of these things get a swipe at you. And one of my characters went, how many of what? And then I turned all the tokens <laughs> on, and they saw that they were surrounded by these things. And they, they, two of them passed really high with their check, and one of them did not. And it was a cleric, it was a poor cleric, just getting torn apart by d6 damage, but it's multiple, like per, per swarm of limbs, essentially, um, of this d6 damage. And they were like, holy crap. And from that point on, they tiptoed through the rest of the dungeon. <laughs> like, not going to have that happen again. And But they got the chest, and they got it. So, you know, <laughs> not <laughs> worth it. You know, a bag of platinum for, like, my arm. That's cool. That's a good trade. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> some places, like... My character right now would trade his left arm for a sack full of platinum. <laughs> Don't you guys already have a crap ton of money? Yeah, but like, I could always use more. I mean, I know your character's in debt, but like, surely you must have close to enough money to cover it by now. I don't. <laughs> I mean, the my players are pretty hard most... on cash right now, so. Oh, my players were I, for I... a long time. <laughs> they were so, poor for a it... long time. They're like, swarm of zombies, bag of platinum. <laughs> we got Revivify. <laughs> I'm like, you got a diamond worth 300 gold? They're like, no. I'm like, okay. Oh, boy. I, I actually made a whole plot point out of that, too. Um, once upon a time. Um, no. Yeah, actually, how, how do you... Um, you, guys, you guys both strike me as very, very seasoned. Um, how do you run uh, components in your game? for the really powerful spells are you are you more kind of loose with it or is it more like on a spell to spell basis uh generally if it has a financial value i will say you need that thing um otherwise i i just assume you have it 
Okay. Yeah, I probably fall into the same category with anything that has a financial component. If it's a consumable, I care a lot more about how I seed that. If it's like a one-time mm-hmm. purchase, I generally don't care about it. Like, I expect you to spend the gold to buy the thing at some point. But like, so for instance, like Chromatic Orb, right? That like level yep. one spell, you need like a 50 GP diamond or 25 GP diamond or whatever it is. If a player takes that, they're like, hey, just next town, like, all right, you're in the new town. Like, what do you do? It's like, I want to go buy a 25 GP diamond. I'm not going to stop him from finding it. Like, sure, whatever. Oh, you find the diamond. But <laughs> to your Someone's point. Someone's selling diamonds that small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, large enough town, right? Like, if they roll into, like, town population, like, 15 people plus a plus a rather you know, robust-looking scarecrow, then sure. You know, that, that town probably won't have it because they probably don't have a dedicated jeweler. Um, or if they do, there's an interesting story as to why that is the case. But for yeah. the for, to your point about Revivify, for the spells that have, like, consumable components, particularly the expensive ones, those I do keep track of um, how many of the players have. Um, usually for the revival spells, primarily. If they're like offensive spells or like utility spells, I generally don't care too, too much. Like one of the players has true sight, I'm not going to stop him from getting the eye drops or whatever. Like, sure, dude, you do your thing. But yeah. like for Revivify in particular, um, especially because like diamonds are just like not something that most people can find. <laughs> um <laughs> man um super for easy time. to find a 300 gold diamond i do it all the time yeah they're just like i trip over them they're just all over the place i, I can't i can't get rid of them fast enough <laughs> um, <laughs> um but you know that's also partly by design um because i was actually using that as a bit of a plot point for a little while um yeah so because um, uh what had happened this is a story that the audience already knows but the the players were escorting a um a a member of like the high council um there's a reason as to why they were doing this but for the important bits all you need to know is that this person is important they need to get to the to their home city so that they can raise an army to fight a civil war right Mm -hmm. so the players are in charge of escorting them across the sea um they have a boat that they're borrowing from a uh from a guild that they're friends with and this journey should be relatively quick. Well, they get attacked by pirates because when you're DMing, let's be honest, anytime you put your players in a boat, there's probably an encounter, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Too easy. If you're if you're a player character, like just avoid boats, like just yeah, <laughs> or airships. <laughs> yeah, any any ve- like large vehicles, right? Trains, you know. Planes. I will do no such thing. <laughs> um, if you really want to mess with your DM, your DM's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, you guys can get on this boat. If there's no time frame, just don't. Just find another way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <We'll> walk. <laughs> we'll sure? swim. It's gonna be like three months going around the country. No, yeah, that's yeah, cool. So you mean like you mean like right before this dungeon where we were supposed to get on a boat, and I was like, no, let's just teleport. Yes, yes, exactly that. Um, (laughs) we had no idea where this place was we had like a vague description of the general direction and a guesstimate of how far it was yeah and i was like we're on a time crunch this boat's gonna take like three weeks let's just teleport worst worst case scenario like we do it three times we we miss and then we rest for eight hours and try again we got like three weeks to try that and we'll still get there faster than the boat Hmm. How'd that work out for you? It worked out pretty good. 
It took us like two days instead of three weeks, and we almost died, but it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> the word is almost. <laughs> yeah. We all made it. Nobody actually went down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of those times did drop you into the anti-magic tundra. That wasn't great. Ooh. Mm. Well, wild magic tundra, I think, is maybe the... the it it was wild magic, yeah. <laughs> I mean, b- both are both sound terrible. well one of the return teleports turned him into a sheep instead so that didn't go great it's not a bug it's a feature yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um and then the another one the botch teleports dropped him into the ocean several miles off the coast so like that wasn't great either that was the best one (laughs) i mean you guys got picked up by a fisherman so you know it wasn't all bad we were only two miles away like that could have been worse. It could have been way worse than that. That's the last one we had to do. <laughs> At that point, and we, we solved... were close enough. <laughs> we solved the rest of the problem with money. We were just like, we'll give you any amount of money to just take us to shore right now instead of going to fish. And they were like, okay. Mm-hmm. And they asked for like, I don't know, like 200 gold. It was we an were extortionate like... amount of money. <laughs> and we were just like, yeah, whatever. Here, take it. Like, they clearly named like, a price, just not expecting you to have that. I mean, because, like, come on. You pick up, like, you know, four guys in full armor just floating in the middle of the ocean. You can't expect them to have any money. You don't even expect them to be alive at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like, the in character, this NPC totally did not expect us to have the money. And we were just like, yeah, here, take it. Now, can we, like, please? Can we go now? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're on a time crunch. We need to, we need to make this happen. <laughs> And he was like, all in the nets? We're going back to shore. I mean, that's an exorbitant amount of money for a fisherman. So yeah, oh, to yeah. you guys, that's that's how much you, you make in, you know, a short rest. But to them, that's like more than they'll make in a year. So Whoa, whoa, hold on. Wait a minute. My character is working class. He's adventuring out of necessity. He has a normal job. Didn't you He's quit? got an... No! <laughs> Did I you thought, quit? <laughs> I thought you had to quit. Or did Ralph give you leave? I don't remember what the situation was, which I suppose I should find out because we have a game on Saturday. He he gave me leave. Um because oh, he, he told me that I could. Was. Yeah, he gave me a he gave me a demotion because I wasn't there to do the, the science project that he needed me to do. That's right, that's right. But like we had had an agreement that I could leave to go do whatever this was. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And still have a job, whether or not it'd be a job I like was a different story. Yeah, because he put that one guy, that that, that one uh, other researcher that you don't like in charge. I remember now. Bantash. Mm. I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah, he gave you a hall pass to go back to adventuring. <laughs> I hate him. I hate him so. And the worst part is I made this character up just to flesh out my backstory. And Owen made me hate this guy. <laughs> I I didn't really care, and then like every time Owen role plays his character, he gets under my skin just a little bit. <laughs> the worst part is that like you know he's not bad at his job. <laughs> yeah, I can't even hate him for being good at his job. Like he he earned the position he has, like exactly as much as my character did. Mm, hey man, it's he's just a little too smart. Me, <laughs> arrival is always nice. In fact, I think it's it's something that, that really flushes out the game, because to have someone who's, like, 
in the same field as you or mm-hmm. or or has the same goals but just started at a different place in life and and just hates you because you're both trying to do the same thing i think it really adds to a story mm-hmm. yeah it's fun too when the boss knows it because <laughs> because that's what i did and the boss is like great all right uh bandash is in charge you're his number two go do science Mm. It's like, my oh. character is a scientist on on the Magic the Gathering plane, Ravnica. Oh, cool! Yeah, so um, so like I he literally know. does science for the Is It League nine to five. <laughs> like he's an actual like normal everyday white collar employee. Oh, what's what's your race? Uh, human. Oh, okay, bird yeah, vacation love- time. I love Ravnica. In in fact, I think Simic Hybrid is probably one of the coolest races that's come out in a long time. It's so cool. It's kind of broken, but it's cool. Yeah, hey. I'm down with broken classes. <laughs> oh. But yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, um oh, to finish my story because I started the I started the pre- the premise. So, our players are escorting this VIP, right? And um during the course of this uh, of this adventure, they get attacked by pirates, as you do. And one of the players has the brilliant idea of uh, drinking their uh, potion of gold dragon fire. So it gives them a gold dragon's fire breath, temporarily. Ooh. Yeah, it's a fun item. On I, the boat. Yeah, yeah. Oh. He, he points it at their boat, though. Like, he, he oh, hits a couple what? of the pirates, but it, he's on the pirate ship at the time, and he's looking towards the boat. So he lights their own boat on fire. So, understandably, no one knows how to sail, so the pirates capture them, <laughs> um, which wasn't intended. Uh, lots of ways they could have avoided that, but here we are. Uh, following session, the rogue breaks out of his uh, restraints, because, you know, rogue shit, and um, goes sneaking through. And eventually the, the pirate captain wises up to this and, and walks over and puts a gun to the VIP's head because one of the players, you know, mentioned that this person was important. You know? And, and uh, appeal, boy. They were like, you really shouldn't capture us. This guy here is the is one of the Elven Council members. We have to get him back home. They're like, oh, so he's worth money is what you're saying. <laughs> Someone will pay for him, I'm assuming. Um, so, you know, we're in the situation, right, where the, the pirate captain puts a gun to the to this guy's head, uh, to Constance is the name of the character, puts a gun to mm. Constance's head, and the rogue is... Um, the rogue did not unlock anybody else, mind you, despite the other players asking him to do so. He only kept oh himself unbound. Because he wanted to do, like, the, the cool assassin thing or whatever. Like, he wanted to clear out people first. So the captain's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go back to your, man, to your bonds, and you're not going to put up a fuss until we get back to shore. We're going to sell this guy off to the highest bidder. And then we're going to go our separate ways. And the rogue's like, cool bet. Runs up and tries to disarm him. Rolls. Gets like a 17 or something. Pretty good. Disarms the the pirate captain. You know, it's like, great. You run up and use your your magic blade to knock the the gun out of his hands. All right, now it's the captain's turn. He reaches into his coat and draws his second pistol, which he was using in the previous combat encounter. And shoots Constance in the head. And now he's dead. That's his turn. Yikes. (laughs) 
So, like, this is one of those moments where, like, I'm using some artistic liberty. Because it's like, wait, he can't just kill him in one hit. It's like, what are you talking about? He just shot him in the head. That's a pretty lethal thing to do. <laughs> yeah. It's I like, think that's fair. You're restrained. It's basically a coup de grace, max damage. I mean, damage aside, I, I did it regardless of his HP total. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes you have to do cinematic stuff. He's like, well, I didn't oh, think yeah, he'd yeah, die yeah. in one hit. I thought he'd just, like, roll 2d10 or something. I was like, no, dude, he, he's, he's tied up and had a gun pointed to his temple. I, like, in that situation, yeah, that's it. Lights out. Yeah. Should have thought about yeah. the second pistol that was very prominent in the previous combat encounter. Or unlocked your friends. Or Any of the above. <laughs> yeah. So um, so they end up killing the pirate captain. Um, the, the warlock and the party polymorphed into a giant eagle and then dropped him like a clam from like 300 feet up. But whatever. Ooh. So they, they kill the pirate captain and they kill all but two of the other pirates that are on this ship. Which is good because those are the only two people on the boat that know how to sail. <laughs> um, and they they sail this uh, this hobbled craft to the nearest port. And their problem now is... The bard um, picked up, uh, you know, uh, the resurrection spell, the the one that does within like ten days. Um, but mm-hmm. you need like a three hundred GP diamond. I think it's revivify, not revivify. It's um, shoot, what is it? I think it is revivify. All right. Well, he picks up that spell, right? So it's like great. I can bring him back, but only if we can find a diamond at this port town and get it to him within the next ten days. <laughs> So they mm-hmm. scour the port and they obviously can't find one. Um, and it took, and by the way, it took them like four days, I don't know, five days to even get to the port. So they really only have like less than a week to find a diamond. Bad news, there's no diamond in town. However, there was a strange group of individuals that was asking about the diamond as well. So maybe they found a lead. Why don't you go ask them? They've been shacking up on the end of town. They do. Knock on the door. Turns out, it's a cultist that they actually know that they had met on another trip that they had taken on a boat from like two and a half years ago in uh, out of game. It was a, an NPC that was a shrimp cultist. And he's oh. like, friends, I haven't seen you in forever. How have you been? I'm so happy you decided to come to our meetup. Cause at the time he had offered for them to come to the meetup. Um, like that was a, that was a hanging plot hook. <laughs> so I was like, I'm so happy you guys decided to come after all. And they're like, Hey, um, we have a dead guy that we need to make not dead like quickly. And he's like, oh, well, then uh, you can talk to our leader. Maybe they can help. And the leader's like, cool, we'll preserve the body. But, you know, you're going to have to help us out. We're, we're looking for an, a stone idol for our our, our, our uh, deity creature thing. And mm-hmm. we've tracked it down. It was in a shipment that was on its way to this town. But the shipment was, attra- was attacked by a dragon. And the contents were hauled off to its lair. So if you guys go and sneak into this lair and retrieve our idol... I'm sure the dragon probably has some diamonds in there. This is a reasonable assertion to make, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, great, where is it? It's like, eh, it's like six days away by cart. But like, you know, it's fine, right? So th- If there's s- one there, you don't need to worry about coming back before you fix your friend. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, <It's> brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the cultists do actually send a few uh, a few mooks alongside uh, along to, to help out as well. Me um, shields, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, including the NPC that they were friends with, um, regrettably, does not make it back. Oh. Well, let me rephrase. He was friends with the players. The players didn't like him all that much, but he didn't know that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
So the party consists of the the four player characters as well as a uh, NPC cop that was um, one of the player characters' partners, as well as this a uh, couple of war- of um, cultists, right? So they sneak in into the um, this ancient, this like ruined city that the dragon is roosting up in. They travel to the central area. They uh, sneak into the dragon's lair, and the rogue is more or less by himself at this point. And he's sneaking in, doing a stealth thing, and he's like, "Oh, this is great. The dragon's not here. You know, there's a giant hole in the ceiling. So like, okay, no dragon in the lair. I'm gonna go rummaging through the mud pile to see if I can find anything." And then the dragon, you know, climbs out of the pool of water that it was chilling in. Mm. roll for combat um and so there's some net things that happen from this combat encounter um they do manage to escape and upset the dragon but the net result is this to distract the dragon the rogue pulls their uh bag of holding inside out spilling its contents as a distraction to try and get away um they do find the stone idol locked up in a small chest um but they cannot find a diamond before they have to escape however the stone idol has two diamonds for eyes so they're like, this is fine. We'll just pry out the diamonds and hand the idol over. No one who came with us who sees this, other than us, knows that there was two diamonds in the eyes. There's no way they would know. We'll just say that we found it this way. And we'll use one of those diamonds to bring the VIP back. Everybody wins. Mm. <laughs> Plus, we even get an extra diamond for later, just in case. Hey, that's fine. Yeah, works out. So um, so they do the thing. They, they bring back their their friend Constance, they keep the other diamond for themselves, they hand the idol over, and uh, the, the cultists end up using this idol as a focus to open up a planner bridge to the plane that their deity resides in. They uh, begin to pilgrimage, to make a pilgrimage inside before half of one of the cultists comes sailing back out of the portal, along with some shrimp creatures. So the players go and mop that mess up. Um, the net result, of course, is that, uh, you know, uh, this, I don't know if this is technically a spoiler for Marvin, but the, I don't know. Constance think on that. Come, well, Constance didn't come back them. right. Is the short version. Oh. He's had nightmares of this shrimp deity because, as it turns out, when you use a busted up diamond to revive someone who's connected to a deity trapped in another world, they're gonna have nightmares. And uh, every time they've seen him since, he's looked more and more tired. But I think up until this point, all the other player characters have just kind of attributed that to the fact that he's been leading a civil war. Um, slash defending in a civil war, which like will stress people out. Um, yeah. Most recently, they had to use that diamond to resurrect the rogue, so as soon as their plane gets restored, that's going to be a plot point we're going to get to deal with later. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that'll be fun. <laughs> that that was a spoiler, but you spoiled me on it a while ago, so I'm not, I'm not upset. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you already knew, because I think I may have told you... Um, on the show at some point but nevertheless uh you know that's something that will come up at some point should we return to these characters um in the future and that's how i took the death of a uh, an important character and turned it into a whole side quest because they needed materials not bad i like it, was it. awful <laughs> it was fantastic it, no harm done you know to you or your or your characters just a some guy yeah you know, come to think My character thing. actually wasn't there. It was before I joined the campaign. Which also means oh, you don't okay. know the origin of the diamond they used to bring back the rogue, which means you'd have no idea that this should have even been a problem or even on your radar at all. That's correct. They do a lot of things and don't tell me the context until well after it happens. <laughs> and my character is the one who like thinks things through. 
but you don't so have all like, the information. <laughs> exactly. This campaign's a constant exercise in why didn't you tell me this sooner? <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Literally, like, every time anything, like, major happens, I'm like, why didn't I know about this already? Worlds have ended because they chose not to tell Gris important information. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That's Straight not, up. Not hyperbole. <laughs> Jeez. We watched their the world they came from collapse because they didn't tell me we had a time limit. Oh no. <laughs> like, oh what happened? It's like, oh yeah, we had to be back here by like Thursday. And they're looking at their watch and they're like, was anybody tracking the time? And Chris is like, you needed to care about that? Oh my god. No, what's worse is, I was keeping track of the time. And they just didn't tell me that we had a time limit. I knew when I wanted to get home. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, Chris is like, I need to make it back by Friday. That's when the grocery store goes on sale. (laughs) And... Anyways, that that's been fun. But I think that that's a, a you know kind of a long way of saying that I think that you can use materials as a kind of a, a jumping off point for uh, for like mini adventures or like side quests that otherwise you may not really have a reason to do. So if there's like a mm-hmm. present need for a thing that the players want, like yeah, you can do that with a MacGuffin sometimes. But it's really interesting sometimes when the thing that they want is something like to improve their kit. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. That I mean, there's there's a lot of motivation in in doing things for the player's character. Um, it, it it's it's a pretty big driving force to get them to um, be tied into a mission or to figure out more about themselves. Um, that, that's why I make sure that you know if if you're if you're new to Dungeons and Dragons, I really want you to know everything your character is about. Because if you if you know at least that much of information, you'll you'll pretty much be fine, as long as you like everything about what you made and the choices and 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 your choices of spells or whatever. Everything else just kind of comes with it. You'll you'll be sure to have fun. Yeah, 100%. that was pretty solid advice. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, I've I've been a I've been a player in good games and a player and player in bad games and a. And a DM and hopefully just good games, but I'm sure I've I'm sure I've DM some bad games when I was when I was a lot younger. Now Haven't I'm, we I'm all. Yeah. Now I just <laughs> now I know what to avoid and 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 what not to subject my, my players to and and to cheer when they have success and to you know feel bad when they when they lose. Because sometimes they lose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they lose. They deserve it. Well, sometimes they run headlong into it, you know. Edgy, edgy rogue will do edgy things, or the cleric prepares nothing but damage spells, which is very hard to do. But I've seen it done. <laughs> or sometimes the wizard I did that once. nothing but damage spells. Yeah. I'm like really, no fly, no feather fall. All right. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. So that's I- something I would do. That's something you've done. Um, That's not the point. <laughs> so one thing you had mentioned before, um, I know you were you were uh, somewhat talking about CR for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any like favorite monsters that you like to to like sneak into campaigns when you can? Ah, uh, um, yes. Um, jeez, 
is actually a lot that I like to do. Um, Can you give us like three? <laughs> I love um, I love beholders. I'm a huge, huge like if I had a if I had a favorite um like problematic monster that's not really problematic if you're strategic. It's definitely Beholders. I've never um, used a Beholder and I'm terrified. I love Beholders because everybody does the wrong thing with Beholders. Everybody thinks like, oh, you, you know, the Anti-Magic Cone, you got to stay out of the Anti-Magic Cone, but then you're going to take four rays. But like, they don't realize that if you actually funnel into the Anti-Magic Cone, the only thing you can't do is cast, but you can still beat this thing to death. It's got like no armor class compared to some things that are much that are much much uh, tougher in its armor in its uh, CR rating. I definitely love those. Does that um, just like crash the action economy for the players though? Um, it definitely can, uh, which is why I I typically don't use them unless they're uh unless they're slightly like reworked. Like I've done some different things. Like I've actually done. A uh, a construct beholder, which was completely different. Like it was, it was almost entirely homebrewed. It had some of the rays, but the rays were different. Um, it its minions weren't like other aberrations. They were all um, they were all constructs too, like modrons and tetradons and and, and monodrons and all kinds of crazy uh, constructs as the minions. Um, but there's, there's, it's a it's a love hate thing with 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 beholders. Mm-hmm. I think I think I just kind of uh, got attached to them in the in the earlier editions. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the power creep that that player characters have experienced makes me feel not as bad if I were to throw one of my players because there are some there are some things that they have access to now. That can make even something like that uh, trivial. Monk stunning strike. Yeah, I mean, you have that. You have the you have the Tasha spells. You have the new subclasses. You have all of the. I mean, you have Moon Druid. Like there are <laughs> ways. There are ways around. I mean, it's only got so many rays. If you summon, you know, twenty snakes, what the heck is a beholder gonna do? Like, Probably get bitten by a lot of snakes. Exactly. So, it, I, I feel like um, handpicking your encounters. Make sure that you're never throwing anything super, super crazy at them. Because if you're going, if you're going through like a module or something, you definitely will want to tweak things. Um, so, like, that's definitely one. Um, I love, I love Kuatoans. Also, mm-hmm. that's like the, the, reason... uh, the fish monsters, right? Yeah, the reason I love Kuatones is not because of what they can do in a combat. I love them for their backstory. The fact that Kuatones can worship anything, and if they do it long enough, and they have enough people, and they really believe, like they're the Care Bears of Dungeons and Dragons, except they manifest things into reality. They can turn anything into a god. Aren't those the orcs from Warhammer? I uh, I think that's yes. exactly them. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, 
Kuatones are, are are busted. Like in their lore, they will take it. Like if something comes into their society and it's not something they've seen before, they're like, "Oh, this must be a god," and then they start to worship it, and it just gets stronger and its stats get higher. Like there was one, there was one game that I was running uh, two or three years ago, and it was a short campaign, but there were these Kuatones in a city, like in the sewers of a city, that worshipped a gelatinous cube oh no that, that became sentient like it was a very very smart gelatinous cube which had grown in size and was effectively running their kingdom and they made it a little crown out of like sewer trash and put it put it on top of its head and like made a throne room for it and all of this stuff and it's this giant uh sentient talking gelatinous cube god and it was one of the most cool things my characters are like what the heck is that and i'm like that is a elevated uh part deity gelatinous cube and they just didn't know what to say about that and they had this huge fight in a in, a, in the can i make a cleric to it <laughs> you could <laughs> you could you could i don't know why they have it made like uh like a kuatoin like Deity subclass because it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it really is. If you want to really trick your characters, send like a bunch of really really powerful monsters, single monsters at them, and they're like, "Man, where are all these really powerful monsters coming from?" And then they run into a Kuatoan village where they're just worshiping. They're not hurting anybody. They're just worshiping these really really bad people. I just and thought of keep... I just thought of something hilarious, right? So you know of the um. The uh, sorcerer subclass, the um, favored by the gods, right? The divine soul. Yeah. So, what if you're a divine soul sorcerer because your parents are worshipped by Kuatoans? Yeah, that'd be legit. I hate this. <laughs> that'd be amazing. What if? What if you just so have much. like? What if you go home? You don't even have parents. You were raised by a group of Kuatoans who worship you. You were like to be their savior, and that's the only reason you have magic. So now you have a reason. They believe and a group you have people. magic. <laughs> yeah, they believed you had magic, so now you do. And you have to protect these people, because if they all die, you're not you lose your class. Like that's it. Good. You're just a guy. You could be a warlock you could be a warlock where your patron is a Kuato in village. Yeah. That's legit. Super cool. Well, if if anybody I'm out there is listening, I'm, I'm this is that. not patented. You could take this and run with it. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one patron when you could have a whole village of patrons. That's so cool. I, that's why I love them as a, as a monster. And I will normally put them in my game in some fashion. And it's totally fair. They don't have any, any other crazy broken insta-kill mechanics or, or, or anything like that. And they have a very interesting hierarchy. Um, and role-playing them is, is hilarious because they name everything after the sound of like dripping water and bubbles. So you can get as creative as you want with it. Glurp, borp, bulb. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the gelatinous cube was uh, King Drippool Blop. Oh, I don't like that name. I want to hug it. <laughs> I want to hug it. Of course you do. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I would say there's there's a I have a lot of monsters and and stuff that I that I love, but I love things that I can also homebrew. I think some of my favorites are are stuff that I've 
kind of mishmash together. But I definitely love the Kua tones. Absolute favorite. I mean, honestly, that sounds fantastic. I, I kind of want to use them in the live campaign that I'm running. They're fantastic. Go for it. Just don't tell Marvin. Don't. <laughs> Just don't. You already tell him. did. That's the problem. <laughs> At least you'll know that you need to start hunting down some fish people. So I mean, you, you'll still have to fight whatever they're worshiping. You know, be it a, a, a dog or you know a piece of garbage that turns into like a a garbage golem or something, and then it's now it's your problem. I'm just going to make it a giant Sukumon. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that at all. Did, did, it, did I get the name right? Yeah, you did. Oh. Please stop. <laughs> Please. Uh, Help me. I love it. It's that's why it's golden. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like I, I really enjoy homebrewing monsters. Um I enjoy homebrewing um like NPCs that the players end up fighting or sometimes don't end up fighting. So it's Yeah. You know, it's definitely something that I, I enjoy. And something funny that's happened in the campaign recently is the um, one of the one of the monsters or people NPCs they were supposed to fight. Um, I used them for for the reveal because I had to tell. So like I didn't tell the story, but like I had to tell the player character that his memories were were wiped by the bad guy. So like, how does one do that? Interact with somebody that they shouldn't know that knows them. So they were hunting this um, this fae um, on another plane. And when they finally track the Fae down, the Fae's like, oh, Arnon, hey, how you been? I haven't seen you in months. And he's like, I don't know this guy, do I? And it's like, not as far as you know, but he clearly knows you. And then he's the one who drops the bomb, like, oh, yeah, last time I saw you, you were with your brother. And he's like, I don't have a brother. And it's like, what are you talking about? It's Charles, hmm. you know, Charles. And he's like, that son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> Charles so, is the big, bad, evil guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... So this fey creature is is made of spiders. Um, that man is spiders. He is spiders. Uh, he's like T one thousand, but instead of liquid metal, it's actual spiders. Ooh, okay. Let's. Uh, I don't know if that's a phobia of mine or it was, but is now. <laughs> uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Core memory unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> that reaction right there, Stephen. <laughs> That reaction the right there? That's a man made of spiders. He's not old and decrepit. Oh. He's just, he's he's like, I don't know, he seems like mid-30s, maybe. Um, he's like mid-30s. He's just a little bit too tall. <laughs> he's like, I think he's like 7'2 or something. What, yeah, that's a little? He... I mean, like. No, that would creep me out, bro. Seven, sm- slender giant man made of spiders. Now nah, I quit. He doesn't normally look like he's made of spiders. It's just when he does like, spidery things. He normally looks like a dude, and then like he'll randomly do something, and just like he's spiders. Like mm-hmm. his arm is made of spiders now. Yeah, he has like a fifteen foot range in his normal melee attack because it just stretches out into a giant hand made of spiders and hits things. Ugh. Right. So the funny thing is that this guy is in their party because he's friends with with Arnon. He's friends with the with the uh, sorcerer paladin character, 
And so they have no reason to fight him anymore. They they smoothed over their reason for for hunting him down. And they're like, great, now he like he wants to hurt he wants to kill the big bad evil guy too. So he's just gonna come along with. And so this whole last dungeon, he was actually tagging along with the player characters. And my favorite part about this monster is that there was a period of time like five levels ago where they were going to fight this guy. And every combat encounter that this character has been in since that incident, the players have grown more and more concerned that they were expected to fight this guy. <laughs> oh. Literally every time he does a new thing that we didn't know he could do, we're like, wait, we were supposed to fight this? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, cool, though. Do, do you want to describe like, the, uh, the last fight, last combat encounter? Oh, I was, <laughs> I was about to. So last session, right? We're, we're fighting another group of adventurers who, like, got mind-controlled into working for the bad guy. And fun fact, they were player characters from a one-shot we played previously. I got to fight myself. I got to kill myself. It was great. Um, anyways, so we're losing. Like, this fight is bad. We're not fresh when we go into this fight, and we don't really have a choice. Um so, like, we're losing, two people are down, one person's dead, and this guy, this his the character, uh, the NPC's name is John. John goes, alright, well, I'm, I'm real sorry about this, guys, I didn't want to have to do this, and he just summons 11 swarms of spiders. Oh, you forgot the part where he's, well, no, initially he said, I'm sorry, I didn't want to do this. And then he grabbed one of the other one of the uh, NPCs they were fighting and turned him into a spider abomination. That was the first thing he didn't want to do. He, I, I didn't, I didn't care about that because the first time we saw him, we knew he could do that to people. Yeah, but like that didn't make it any better. <laughs> it's just... That's brutal. Um, but yeah, and, and then he, he asked him first, or no, just just no, either. no. I mean, they he, were fighting he turned... to the death, so. He he turned one of the other guys into an abomination to make him turn on his uh his allies. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of like a dominate person, but overwrites their stat block with a, you know, with a different one. It's with like, a spider. <laughs> with a spider. Probably not a nice looking metamorphosis either. Yikes. No. Uh, think uh think Jeff Goldblum the fly. Oh, but fuck. spider. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I guess Peter Parker from the animated. From man oh, spider. no, that was bad, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, man like, spider? Spider man before going spider man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. man That's spider. Um, man spider. I, either of those would, would be applicable in that situation. Wasn't great. But yeah, and then he, he summoned 11 swarms of spiders. Good lord. The 11 swarms of spiders were the problem for me. <laughs> yeah, that's an ability that he has had on his sheet the entire time and has never used. This vampire was a problem. <laughs> oh yeah, came pretty close to TPing uh, our mutual lady friend with uh, with a couple of vampire spawns back in uh, back in that same campaign with the with the <laughs> Kuatoans. Love it. She deserves it. <laughs> Oh, she was she was getting a H, max HP drained, and they kept hitting her, man. Oh Rough. no! <laughs> yeah, she was at like eight. I was like, Ooh. um. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, this NPC he comes out of the you know out of the alleyway, and he's like, hey, you need some holy water? And no, I'm kidding. 
they, they managed to <laughs> they managed to win, but she got very close. She she was uh she started at forty HP, she ended at eight. So that's tough. I think the rogue ended our last fight with one HP because he got hit with another one of those gravity spells, which like mm-hmm. those hurt a lot. Um, he got hit with one of those gravity spells and he did almost all of his HP and almost killed the bard outright, and it did kill the fighter, the all well, the paladin sorcerer rather. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, so that was it. Was rough. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite part about the spider guy? After all that, he then absorbed all the spider swarms and healed himself. Another ability they did not know he could do. <laughs> Jesus. That one, I at least was like, yeah, this one makes sense. I I should have seen this coming, but like everything else he did, like the spiders came from him. That we saw at least, like they directly came out of his massive body. Like, this was just brand new spiders, and I was like, wait a minute, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) You can call spiders from somewhere else? Conjure them? Are they real? Are they fake? Did they come from the Feywild? We may never know. I don't want to know. He's a fun NPC. But it was great. Oh, yeah. It sounds like it. He's fun because he's really fun to roleplay, honestly. Like, he plays totally like he play he told, uh, plays totally as the straight man in the party as well. Nothing he says or does he ever thinks is weird. Yeah. I like He's just those. like, yep, this is normal. He's like, come on, you guys don't vomit, you know, spiders in excess of your body mass? Come on. Oh, please don't say vomit. Not after oh, yesterday. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I don't know what happened yesterday. <laughs> I, I, well, episode 7 of Chainsaw Man happened yesterday. Oh, Spoilers. sorry. It's okay. That has no context. Um, Spoilers. <laughs> without context, you can't know, but I, I'm, I'm moderately triggered. Anyways, yeah, no, you're preemptively right. apologizing <laughs> to anybody who's <laughs> recently watched that series. Um, but yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Just, you know, could throw up spiders, can could turn a guy into a spider. That's not great. Um, but the one that's like, okay, hey, John, can you go interrogate that guy? And he's like, you do know I'm just going to eat him, right? And you're like, no, no, that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. Okay, am I misremembering? Please remember, we, remind me. We were interrogating him and actually torturing him. So, like, at some point I restatted my character. I went from wizard cleric to wizard warlock. This mm-hmm. is before I did that change. So we were literally torturing this guy. Um, like, I, I would shock and grasp him and kill him and then spare the dying so that he didn't die and then shove a potion down his throat so he'd wake back up and we did this like six times and he oh my would, gosh. We, were, we were trying to get information out of him and like he wouldn't say anything so John comes in he goes that's not working I'll be back and he just picks the guy up and walks away so he comes back like three hours later and he's like yeah, this is this is the information. And they were like, Oh, he gave you the information? I was like, dude, he ate that guy. That man is spiders. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There and that's where party. we got the line, that man is spider. <laughs> yeah. I, I recall the rest of the party like not putting two and two together. That like you know, he left with the guy and did not come back with the guy. <laughs> like, so then like No, actually you know what? Even I misremembered it, because he went, oh, no, I ate that guy. 
<laughs> yeah, that's what he said. It. He said, "No, no, I ate that guy." I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, um, he he was just he was just brain food at that point. I don't like that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> there's a um there's a trope I try to keep in mind. Um I don't know if you're familiar with like TV tropes, um the website. Yeah, of but so there's a trope that I try and keep in mind whenever I play that character, which is the the blue and orange morta- uh, morality. Um so I try to have John function on like a consistent morality but one that very clearly does not align with what most people would consider to be right and wrong. Oh yeah. Right. Um, like he's definitely a very alien character and I try to play him as such. And even though there are times where he can be very human in the way that he approaches conversations or is helpful to the party or like voices concerns about like what Arnon might be going through. I try, uh, I try to um, occasionally re-inject moments of like, this is a very strange person. And like, while someone that we can predict, we can only predict like he he acts consistent, but he's not predictable. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's like this is the line, right? This is the line. Everybody understands you don't cross this line. This person has no idea where the line is. They're no, a no. good person. The problem is they'd be a better person if they knew where the line is. No, no. It's more like you and I see morality as a box, and like good is inside the box and bad is outside the box and he sees it as a circle drawn on the ground yeah where you, that you can easily step over well not even it's, it's a like, different shape it's a different shape oh, yeah. and a different location that entirely like yeah. in your metaphor where it's like there's a line that you don't cross he's also working on a line that doesn't cross but these lines are not parallel <laughs> nor do they yeah. intersect <laughs> yeah like he's just Wait, that doesn't make sense. It is. It does in three-dimensional space. No! <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Forgot about the Z-axis. <laughs> Dangly bits. Um, <laughs> I always wanted to say that. Um, <laughs> so, um, so with that, we're actually running up on time. A little bit of a longer episode this time. Um, oh. Chris, did you have any uh, closing thoughts you wanted to share with our audience? Any uh, tips for maybe a new DM um, to maybe, uh, you know, anything to re- uh, reassure them or anything like that? Um, number one rule to make sure you don't have any D&D horror stories is have a beefy session zero. Make sure you talk to everybody about what kind of campaign you're running and what kind of campaign they want. Because if you want to tell an espionage story, and they want a war story, uh, it's not going to gel. If they want a story that is rife with RP and all you have is combat, you're not going to gel. Um, if there's something that you don't like to think is broken or something that they want inside of the game, if you don't talk about it, the problem falls a majority on you. So good session zero, talking everything out, uh, super important. Um, I myself have a love-hate relationship with, like, let's say, Counterspell. I talked with <laughs> one of my players about it, and we came up with a new system for how we run Counterspell so that it doesn't feel like we're just taking away each other's action economy, um, which is, in my, eyes, in my eyes, something that's 
kind of lame. Um, Can you share this rework? Because I feel like that's a, a good thing to have. Oh, okay. Um, I'll give a quick rundown. Um, so the way that the system works, um, I actually snagged this system from the Dungeon Coach on YouTube. Um, and I really like how it works. Um, basically, it is a system where um, if I'm casting a spell and you're casting a spell, we do opposed um, checks of our um, spell casting attribute. And depending on who's the one counterspelling and who's, who's the one casting the spell, you get a plus one or minus one modifier for the differences between that spell. So let me give an example. If I cast a level three fireball and you cast level three counterspell, we roll and it's just flat rolls with our, our spell casting. Um, but if you're casting a level six cone of cold and I'm casting a level three counterspell, my roll gets a negative three because there's three levels of dis difference between those spells. So what it means is, um, yes, you can counterspell at any level. But if, in my mind, if a, a wizard that has more experience than you is being counter counterspelled by you and you, you're not as good as him, you're going to have a harder time trying to stop his spell. Um, instead of it just being an automatic win, turn that spell off button. And nice. it goes vice versa. Okay, so add some variance to it, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, a no really nice feature on it, if the, uh, the two spellcasting modifiers... If you guys both roll, um, and it's a tie, you roll on the wild magic table. Oh, that's cute. I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, that might be... That, might, that was like the TLDR for, for, how, for how it works, but it, it actually works out to be a lot more fun and, and a lot more interesting, and, and nobody feels like their, their whole turn is taken away on a, on a whim. Um, because yeah, I'm, I'm not they, a huge like fan of those features. To, to, um, to do something about it. Exactly. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Sick. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up for today. Um, as always, you can catch the show at TIAFA Podcast. You can catch me at Vlad Beaver, and you can catch Marvin at Taiyugetsu on Twitter. Uh, we release new episodes on Sunday, for the most part. Uh, Chris, can they find you anywhere? Um, I'm not on too much of social media. Uh, I, I have an Instagram, but it's almost exclusively for uh, just keeping in touch with um, the different uh, content creators who make stuff for Dungeons and Dragons and have ideas and make homebrew items and stuff like that. But um, if I if I ever come up with something or have something running, I'll I'll let everybody know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, let us know. And we're on Instagram too. Uh, audience so if you want to catch us there as well uh marvin do you know what our what our handle is on that uh yeah it's the same as our twitter tiafa tiafa podcast all right outstanding nice. well with that uh we'll go ahead and uh call it a show uh again thank you so much chris for joining us um fantastic conversation and uh hopefully not the last time uh we have you on. oh yeah thanks for having me guys uh it was a lot of fun and your stories and your games sound very interesting <laughs> likewise bud <laughs> yeah same here man uh some wonderful stories and hopefully we'll we'll have an opportunity to get to more of those maybe next time we have you on thank you all right so with that um you know stay salty may your dice always roll true and uh have a good one everybody good night guys <laughs>